I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. I wanna welcome everybody to another episode of Designed to Heal. I am your average Jeff, the co-host with Dr. Ben Rawl. And uh, today, is it your favorite pharmaceutical rep that's on the show today, Ben? Is that, that would, the deal or what's that the- would, You're already trying to get me upset. Yeah, <laughs> and our, my guests are probably already hung up after you heard you accuse him of that. Um, no, we, we have a, a special guest today and we have a, a special block of time. So I wanna get right into this, but our, our, our friend today that's on is a, uh, lawyer, a top lawyer, literally, when I say top lawyer, you know, everybody would maybe hear that, but literally, like, gets the awards as, like, the top lawyer, you know, um, and he's had some amazing cases. If you follow this show, you would know him from Monsanto cases, you know him from the baby food cases. Now there's things going on with Zantac, and others. Mm. He's going to tell us more about this today. We have with us Brent Wisner from um, the, his firm is out west, I believe. But, uh, Brent, thank you, Brent, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you got a million things going on, but can you, will you, I'm asking you to do this. Will you brag a little bit about your background so they know kind of where you've done some of the awards you've won, the cases you've worked on, and then we'll get into some nitty gritty. Sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. Um, uh, I guess the, the the singular distinction that I usually encapsulates my career is that I'm the youngest attorney in history to obtain a multi-billion dollar verdict at a jury trial. Um, a trial lawyer out of California, um, pretty young relative to the old the old guard, but I basically have focused my entire career on taking on very large corporations, mostly pharmaceutical and chemical companies who have basically everything stacked in their favor, including the regulatory agencies and have been able to pierce through all that and show a jury, Hey, listen, this is what's actually going on and get people to see behind the curtain and hold them accountable um, to the tune of billions of dollars. So that's sort of my, my mission and my sort of role as an attorney. I'm, constantly recognized for better or worse as being a good trial lawyer by different organizations and whatnot. But I'm a senior partner at the firm of Baum Headland. Um, and I live up in the Bay Area now. So that's sort of the capsulates who I am. <laughs> Brent, I got, I got a question for you right away. As a listener is hearing your introduction, I mean, there's some people out there going, man, this is my, this is like my new, you know, Marvel superhero or something like that because of the work <laughs> that he's doing. And, you know, and, and probably people even going, I didn't even know there was somebody that had such courage and, and it does take courage to do something like this. So I, I just have to ask this in a fun way. What on earth would, I'm so glad you did, but what on earth would possess you to pick pharma as the group that you would go after among others and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, I think a lot of listeners are going, this guy have a death wish. Like what's he up to? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, the truth is I was sort of groomed to be a defense lawyer. I went to Georgetown, you know, I went and worked for a big defense firm for the first, you know, summer and law school. And I had a crisis and, you know, my last year of law school, I said, what am I doing? I don't want to spend the rest of my life, you know, helping these people who hurt people get away with it mm. at the same time. I sort of was like, I don't want to just be a, an ambulance chasing lawyer who goes and finds, you know, you know, random people who've been hurt in car accidents and pursuing it. So I said, what, what's, what's the right path? And lo and behold, my, my dad used to smoke dope with this guy named Michael Baum in the seventies at Woodstock. And he said, you should talk to Michael Baum because he does some cool stuff involving suing big companies. I met with Michael Baum. I was wearing flip flops and 
he hired me on the spot. And that's been my career ever since. Michael Baum sort of showed me how he's been doing it for a long time. And I brought a lot of sort of trial expertise and skill to that, to that equation. And we've been pretty darn successful and taking on these corporations that <laughs> really do not like me or so, us. So Brent, I mean, I love it. Like, like Jeff was saying, I mean, and I, like I mentioned earlier before we started the show, I'm married to an attorney. My sister's a, an attorney and I'm so grateful for, and I've always, that's always been my, my fight. Matter of fact, my, my wife, that was one of the first things when she started in, in law that really weighed so heavily on her just about what she did. I mean, the responsibility that, and wanting to have it be good work and right work and helpful work. Right. And, and so I'm so thankful but I think to Jeff's point, people still, you know, just don't have the temerity or the, they, they, like you said, like you said, they literally go up, look at these behemoths, these David and Goliaths, and they think, man, and I think for so long they were just intimidated to do that. And you have, you guys in, in your firm, and I, I know you give credit to a lot of your team, you're not saying you do it all, but you know, the, the work that you guys do collectively together to help people in my side of the world, being in, in practice and watching so many people that are hurt by these medications that find out either bef- after it's too late or after so much damage has been done, or they come in on this litany of medications, many that you have sued and won cases against. And I just wish that people were aware of that. And I was talking to Jeff earlier here, and this is really what I want to ask you is, I kind of, and I'm putting you on the spot here, Brent, but I, I want you almost to, to scare my audience in the sense that they probably don't know how bad it is. You know, you get documents because of, you know, discovery and you guys get to see behind the curtain a little bit, even though I'm sure not even close to what you'd love to see. What have you experienced by doing this work that you would want like our general listener to know about? about Big Pharma, right? The studies that you never see, the the results, this thing that happened with Zantec, they knew this thing was causing cancer, but they hid it, right? They never released all those things. Can you just kind of like, because you have full full range on this show, you can say whatever you want, we don't censor here. Like, scare my listeners, how bad is Big Pharma? Well, I think, I think the best way to put it yeah. is, um, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is not here to help people. They're not here to cure diseases. They're here to make money. They're a business. They have shareholders just like any corporation and they're going to make money any way they can. And one of the ways of making money is to sell drugs that don't fix anything. Um, And it doesn't matter if they have side effects because at the end of the day, what they have to pay for those side effects is a drop in the bucket, right? You have so many examples of pharmaceuticals where millions or thousands of hundreds of thousands of people who have died or received horrible injuries and then, you know, a, a, a tithe of them actually show up to actually file a lawsuit and then they settle their case because, you know, the defendants, these pharmaceutical companies throw hundreds of millions of dollars at their defense and they settle for a couple hundred grand and, you know, they made 50 billion and they paid out a billion in settlements and, you know, the equation doesn't add up to telling people the truth. Now, where the real lie is, the real, the real disturbing part about this is, Corporations are going to make money. I mean, of course they're going to. And if it pays to lie, they're going to lie. It's that simple. The problem is the, the regulatory agencies that are supposed to protect us, the, the, the FDA, the EPA, or whoever, are not on our side. I mean, I've sat down, I've deposed the, the highest directors at the FDA, and I sit here and I said, what is your role at the FDA? And he said, it's to service the pharmaceutical industry to service the pharmaceutical industry. Their job is to provide a rubber stamp to make consumers feel comfortable about the drugs that they're taking, even though the FDA doesn't do a single study. 
All it does is rely on the data reported to them by industry and then they rubber stamp it. And so we walk into every single time you walk into a, uh, a pharmacy and you're taking an over-counter medication or you're taking any drug, what's on that label and what went into being on that label is largely bull And people need to realize that when you're taking a medication, you know, unless the medication's been on the market for 50 years and there's no possible realistic expectation that it's dangerous, you know, you're taking a risk. Now, I'm not saying you don't take medications. People, sure. hey, get yeah. sick, treat it, but... But that's that's the problem is the system is not designed to give us the information we need to make that choice properly. And that's literally the heart and soul of everything I do is I bring it to a jury and say, you have a right to make this choice. You have a right to know the truth. And they freaking lied to you. So let's make sure they pay. Hopefully that accounting done after the fact is so severe that when the pharmaceutical industry is doing the next drug and decides, hey, should we tell the truth about this or not? Some poor associate in the boardroom raises his hand and says, well, what about that lawsuit by Mr. Wisner? Maybe we should think about the economic impact because of the conversation they speak and that's money. Do you, so is there anything in your, in your career, I know you, you know, uh, get to still hold yourself out as, as young. I like to try to do that to myself as well, you know, but is there, <laughs> is there stuff that still surprises you? Like I just, so, and I, and I know, you know, as an attorney, you're not going to say anything publicly that you can't validate or verify or stand up, right? So yeah. you don't throw those things out there lightly. Like when we say most of that stuff on there is BS, most of, you know, it's not true or certainly far, far, far from the totality of the body of work that was done on those drugs. I think one of the things that always surprised me and people don't realize that like every study that's done by, you know, by them, by, by you know, by, is not published, right? Like it, okay. I think there's this illusion, like, no, it's all these people that just, they do the study, they see what happens and then it gets looked at by the journals and they go, okay, well, we'll publish it out there and so for the good of humanity, but nothing really could be farther from the truth. Is there anything that's like that statement you just said about the high ranking officials at the FD, is there anything that still shocks you? I mean, are you still blown away at the corruption or whatever the word you prefer to use for that industry is? Well, what I, what I find, and I, to this day, I mean, I, I've known this for years, but it's just, it blows my mind is the absolute willingness for the FDA and other regulatory agencies to go out of their way to protect the industry, right? They have this belief that the pharmaceutical companies have to be protected from us evil, evil lawyers. And so they publish studies and make stuff up to sort of defend the, the give an example of the Zantac, yeah, okay? Yeah. This product was pulled off the market because they discovered that there was Can we stop you real quick there, uh, Brent? Just because, I mean, I know people listening, but this isn't over-the-counter for one thing, right? So a lot of times yeah. people just think, oh man, it's over-the-counter must not be a big deal. It's safe. You know, what, again, what is the logic that a lot of us use? They wouldn't allow it to be on there if it was safe. And so this is your typical kind of low end acid reflux, heartburn drug. I ate too many chicken wings. I'm going to have some Zantec. And I, I say that just so our listeners know, thanks for, sorry for jumping in there. No, yeah, absolutely. It's been on the market since the eighties, you know, it's been over the counter since the mid nineties and people have taken it for decades. Right. And you know, an independent laboratory did some testing on some Zantac and discovered that it had these really high levels of this, this molecule called NDMA. Not to be confused with MDMA, which is the, the primary thing in, in ecstasy. We're talking about NDMA. And NDMA is a potent carcinogen. It's been around since the 30s. All it does is cause cancer. It has no purpose in our society. In fact, in laboratory experiments, it's specifically used to induce cancer in animals. And they found these very high levels of NDMA, and it took the FDA almost nine months 
to finally say, okay, maybe we should take this off the market. And so they pulled it off the market. And then they went out and did a bunch of studies, quote unquote studies, that were designed to assuage concerns of people that the NDMA wasn't such a big deal. I mean, we're talking about levels of NDMA that are 100 times the safe limit that the FDA acknowledges. And yet they go out and say press releases like these are low levels that you, you know, you, you would be experienced, you'd be exposed to on a day to day level. And it's just freaking bull. It's like the tobacco, co- the tobacco playbook almost, right? I mean, it makes me think 100%. about that, right? Yeah. You have to wonder what is going on. How, how, this is a product they pulled. This is a product that contains a molecule that everyone agrees causes cancer. And you're going out of your way to dissuade people from saying that their freaking bladder cancer or prostate cancer or colorectal cancer was probably caused by 30 years of ingesting this NDMA. Are you freaking mad? But it's because they service the industry. Their entire playbook is we he- we're here to help the pharmaceutical industry in any way we can. They're not regulators. And this is a concept that has been proven and shown in various you know, publications. It's called regulatory capture, right? That the people that the, the, in, the, the, the regulators are supposed to regulate begin to work for right. the people that instead of against. And that's the problem. And I'm not saying every FDA is bad. There's obviously people there who care. Sure. And you talk about generalizations. It's hard to demonize an entire institution. But just as a general, but if there was one to demonize, <laughs> but if there was one, I knew he was going to jump be, in with this that. This would be a good start, <laughs> Brent. Do you you said I think I heard you say this publicly, but just to give people a perspective on this Zantec, because I want people to grasp this. Some of the levels they discovered from a carcinogenic standpoint was the equivalent. Am I saying this right? Almost six hundred cigarettes a day, or a pill? Am I am I right in that? That's right. Just talking about one pill is the equivalent of NDMA exposure that you'd get smoking 600 cigarettes. So if you take two pills a day, that's 1,200 cigarette exposure of NDMA in a single day. Now, you do that over the course of 20 years, good grief. You are exposing your system to an astronomical amount of this carcinogen. And, you know, these poor guys, our clients, I have thousands of them, have cancer. And they've gone through absolute hell dealing with this cancer. And... They, and, you know, even during their cancer treatment, they're still popping Zantac because they mm. think it's sick and it's only making it worse. It's just it's just gross. And they made so much money off this product and they freaking knew about it in 1982 before it ever came on the market. And I've is, seen this. It's, it's freaking madness. And is it the same game, Brent, where, um, again, they, you know, every day that this thing can live on the market, it's like the opioids, right? Every different but similar model. Right? Every day I can keep selling that poison. I can make more money. And I, it's the old Pinto story, right? You know, how much is it going to take us to fix the cars? How much is it going to take us to, you know, just settle the car, settle the cases? And so they, they, you know, like, and again, you know, these day, every day that it can just, they can lie a little bit, they can placate, they can put it off, they can get you tangled up in the court, wait for people to die. It reminds me of some of the cases, even with, uh, you know, the um, Teflon, right? Similar, similar concepts, right? Where you said to me, so many people are hurt, they just settle it or, and I mean, I'm sure it's maddening, but also it's got Got to be rewarding fighting for these fighting for these people. Um, you have any stories about that? Maybe the Monsanto one is a good one because I know there was some specifics in that. Anything you can share with us publicly? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's ninety nine percent of the time disheartening, and <laughs> you feel like exhausted and like 
you know, you're not making any progress. And then the 1% of the time it's life changing. I mean, I know in the, in the first Monsanto trial, you know, two weeks before the case was set to trial, the, the lawyer that was set to actually try the case was in a pretty horrendous um, accident, put him in the hospital. And uh, his second in line called me and said, Hey Brent, will you come in and help try this case in two weeks? And I said, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. You get on the phone with him. He has a horrendous accident. Uh-huh. He's out. The third person at the guy's firm gets on the phone with me and says, all right, Brian, we're trying this case in 10 days. Uh, what's Roundup? <laughs> I said, okay, man, let me do that. And I've been litigating the Roundup cases for a few years, so I knew the case pretty well. So I went and I flew out to, I drove up to um, Northern California to meet Lee Johnson. There's a really great documentary coming out about this uh, this weekend at the, the, the Hot Docs Film Festival in Toronto. Um, it's called Into the Weeds. Anyway, I, 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 you know, I met with Lee and I said, okay, you know, what are we doing here? And he was like, and his wife, I remember was sitting there and she said she was in her scrubs cause she had working two jobs cause Lee was dying of cancer. And, and his wife says, Brent, what is this case about? What are we trying to do here? And I said, well, we're suing Monsanto because they caused his cancer. And she's like, is this like a worker's comp claim? Like, what are we talking about? A couple hundred grand or something if you can get. And I asked Monsanto, I'm going to ask the jury for hundreds of millions of dollars. And she said, what? She starts crying and says, you mean you could get that and we could keep it? And she, she's, I'm like, yeah. And she's like, that would change my life. I could spend, I could my, you know, she's driving the kids around the, this, this town to go to better schools because where they live was not a very nice neighborhood. And I said, okay. And so I tried the case um, and it was a six week trial and the jury returned a $289 million verdict. And after the verdict, we all went back to the room with the jury and I come back there to say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about what you thought about the case and everything. And they said, Mr. Wisner, we don't want to talk to you. We want to talk to Lee. Bring him in. So I brought in Mr. Johnson and he came in there and the lady said, Mr. Johnson, what you went through was not acceptable. And we had your back because we know you would have had our back. And everyone's crying and they all hug Mr. Johnson. You know, and this is a man whose skin is essentially falling off from cancer. It's pretty horrendous. And, you know, that moment seeing people rally around someone who's been so hurt against every odd in the world. That's the kind of stuff you live for. That's what keeps me going into the wee hours of every night when I'm working, you know, 120 hours a week and not, you know, (laughs) abusing my own body to help these people because I want to make sure that, that we win. How how bad, and I mean, this is a, you know, a paraphrase question, but you know, because we and Jeff were talking earlier you know, I think there's this, and I'm just going to say it like this, you know, we think, oh, you know, if, if I'm going to say Roundup, if Roundup was that bad, if Zantec was that bad, they wouldn't let it, you know, I took it, it didn't quote hurt me, I just spray my weeds, that, that little, that little mental kind of game that we play with ourselves. Um, I, 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 you know, I just think that that's a lot of people use that to kind of let them, let themselves off the hook, right? Let their brain just rest. What do you, how how bad is that stuff? Because you get to see, right? I mean, I can't imagine being in that case. You, they probably, they had to bring everybody they could try to think of to, to you know, to refute everything that you're saying, right? Um, I think I remember I hear Bobby say, like, well, they bring their scientists in, we'll bring our scientists in, we'll let the, you know, we'll let you know, logical humans kind of figure this thing out. What's your take on statements like that, or your experience on something like that? Well, my first, my first point is juries are really smart. Right. I, you know, people always say, Brent, you were playing 
games and scaring the jury. And I said, well, watch my opening statement or watch my closing argument. It's all science because I don't try to scare the jury. I just want to give them the facts. Are those public? But, Do those things get oh, shared? Yeah. Uh, my closing argument in the Johnson trial is actually on YouTube. Crazy. You must be pretty good to be YouTube famous for closing arguments in a, in a Monsanto case. That's funny right there. Well, I'm just going finally with something <laughs> worth watching on YouTube, right? Like now, now yeah, I, might, I, I might have to get back on. You know? Law and order or just watch Brent close arguments. <laughs> Exactly. But I'll say this, I'll say this, you know, when you talked about like cancer, right? Um, let, let's say you had a light switch and let's say we're talking, you know, you turn the light switch on and off and it, every time you switch it, it turns on and off. But let's say the light switch was altered so that only one in every 20 times, right? The light switch turns on, right? How long would you take flipping that light switch before you realize that there was a problem with the light switch? Right, you would you wouldn't re, you wouldn't make the connection because it's so sparse and so random. You wouldn't mm. really understand. When we're talking about cancer. We're talking about one out of a thousand, and that you taking this product makes it three out of a thousand. Right, it triples the risk, but it's still a very small risk. So yeah, you might have been exposed around and didn't get cancer, but it's like a game of Russian roulette. Right, just because you didn't hit the bullet doesn't mean someone else didn't. And that's how you have to understand. That's how the the the, the scientists, well, not the scientists, the the, the 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 defendants are able to sort of. Say, oh, well, I mean, people take it all the time, and it's fine, of course, because most of the time you're, you're not going to get hurt. Our bodies are safe. Cancer is a combination of mutations in the genes that leads to the development of a tumor. Right? You have to have there's a bit of unluck, but when you put more bullets in the chamber, which is like what using Roundup or using Zantac does, right? It increases the chance of you catching one of them. And unfortunately, my clients are the ones that bit the bullet, right? That got the cancer. And, and, and so by taking Zantac, the gun had four bullets in it instead of just one, right? And that four extra bullets, unfortunately, lets them getting hit when they otherwise wouldn't have. And that's how you have to understand something like cancer, where you're talking about complex numbers and, and, and ratios that intuitively humans don't think with. But when you look at the overall data, it shows a clear signal. Brent, Brent, I got to ask this question. It's both of you and Ben, but I mean, let's go back to the NDNAs that you said were in um, the Zantac. I mean, we, you said, if I heard you correctly, something like since the 1930s, we know that this is cancer causing and these are major issues and that sort of thing. The, the, you know, I always bill myself on the show as the average Jeff because I'm asking like average Joe questions. Like I'm not the medical expert here. I'm the guy that's just sitting around getting my mind blown most weeks when we hear the experts kind of talking about things. And so I think the average Joe out there is going, well, why the heck are they putting this stuff in? Like, is there nothing else for filler that they can put in, you know, Zantac or something like that? So, Ben, can you chime in on that? Or I'll let the, know, I'll let the good Brent? lawyer, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, 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 a, it's actually a product with the molecule itself. So it's not a function of they're putting in NDMA. They don't want to put NDMA in the pill. It doesn't serve any purpose except cause cancer. Mm -hmm. The problem is the ranitidine molecule itself it has the N on one side of the molecule and the DMA on the other side of the molecule. And when it's exposed to heat or just time sitting on the shelf, glove box, your shower, it, it, it causes it to decompose and the, N, the renidity molecule actually itself turns into NDMA. That's the problem. Mm. And the problem with the molecule itself, and it's funny, if you go back in time to the history of the molecule, the renidity molecule, which is what we call Zantac, it was created because a different drug, very similar to it, Taganet or Semitidine, was so successful 
GSK was like, crap, we got to make our own version of this so we can start making bank on this product. And so they just literally reconstituted the molecule. But in doing so, they added the N portion to the molecule that created mm. rigidity, but also created the problem. And early on in the 1980s, they did some studies that showed, oh, crap, this thing's producing like crazy levels of NDMA. And there was an internal study by GSK that showed this. And what did GSK do? They buried it. They didn't share it with a single person. It wasn't until 2019 that an independent laboratory did that exact same study and sent it to the FDA that it led to the product being recalled off the market. So for 40 years, they got away with selling this when they knew it had this problem because they wanted to be in this really profitable business. And there's a reason why, by 1987, Zantac was the best-selling drug in history. Brent, this is where, and I know for sake of time, I just want to kind of wind this down. But like, I think I like that is that answers so many questions. One of them just being like, yeah, but even even these drugs that have been on the market forever, like you said, kind of like we're even seeing with some of the COVID vaccine stuff, where like you know, it, it, there's so much. I'm just going to say it like this: there's so much disease sometimes, and so much burden of disease that happens that you know increases an uptick of heart attacks if you're not looking for it can be missed. And uptick, you know, that's why we've I think the kids thing has blown our minds so much watching these kids struggle with heart issues post COVID shots because of you know what we're what we're seeing happening there. But can can you here's what I guess I would want to ask you as we end it, you know, give <laughs> give us some hope, right? Um, you know, I know you mentioned it earlier, man. I hope maybe my name can get brought up in the boardrooms once in a while. Like, damn it, if we do this, Brent's gonna get us later, you know. Um, is the goal reforming that? I mean, I think the thing needs to be imploded, but I mean, do you is the thought, you know, the industry's gonna change and wake up? Do we need to redo the FDA? Is it leadership from your vantage point? Do we just keep suing the heck out of them and tr- you know? What do we what do we do? Because I know your goal isn't just to keep making money because people are getting sick, right? I'm a chiropractor. Like I don't my I don't go to bed at night dreaming of people getting hurt so I can see them, right? Ideally it would be people to be well, of course, take care of those people that, that need it. What's your philosophy on that or what's your vision? What's 30 years from now? We have you back on the show and we say to say, hey man, you know, cheers, here's what we did. What's that big vision or that big dream for you? I mean, I'll just be honest yeah. with you, man. I don't know if it's really going to change mm. until there is a fundamental institutional shift. And, and what I mean by that is when a company makes profit off of human health, right? You have a fundamental philosophical or policy tension between helping people and making money. And when they and when making money trumps helping people, it will always win. So does that mean we, we, we take away the entire pharmaceutical industry and the regulatory? I don't know. I don't think that's probably the best solution because you want to encourage innovation. But there has to be a philosophical shift. that We need a regulator that can actually do something that helps people, that doesn't get captured, that isn't funded by the industry, that isn't, that isn't incapable of doing it. I think one way of doing that would be, one, just completely prevent the revolving door between the FDA and industry. I mean, you have people who are former general counsel of the FDA now runs general counsel for GSK. That's not, that's not right. That shouldn't be how incestuous the relationships be. The second one would be to require the FDA to actually do tests on all new medications, make the industry pay for it, but the FDA actually does a test. So so there's no falsification of data. There's no playing playing tricks with the, the statistics and you have to have a government government overseen and conducted study before a drug gets approved. 
that would cut through a lot of the bullshit that the drug companies are able to do to convince the FDA that a drug is safe or effective when it's really not. But that, that you get rid of the revolving door, make the regulator a true independent organization, and then make the regulator do the work. I think that could make a fundamental change in our industry. I don't know if it's going to change everything, yeah. but be a step and I don't know if this is true or not, Brent, but I, I, you know, you talk about money, um, you know, how money affects things. I hope that you're inspiring a generation of lawyers that say, you know what, you can go fight the bad guys and you can win. You can make a difference and you can feed your family and you can, you know, there is work out here that's important work to do. And I, I just hope that, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of a story of my sister. She graduated top in her class. And I remember she got offered this big, you know, initial initial job to go work for a defense firm. And she was there a very short period of time as well. And she just, she's just her little tiny entry into it as a kind of a newbie lawyer. She was like, I think I remember her term, something like it was like um, it was like blood on my hands. Right. She's like, I can't I can't participate in this kind of like a similar experience that you had. And so I'm just I just we just thank you. I know we haven't met in person, but thank you for the work that you're doing. and Your firm is doing. Thank you for following that that prompt for your dad smoking, smoking joints with his buddy at, at Woodstock. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story. If it is, it's even better. But uh, man, I guess I guess there's still some good people in California, too. Can I tease you about California? I thought that, wait, I thought they all moved to Florida. The <laughs> yeah, you'll be here soon enough. You'll be in Florida soon enough. Hey, Brent, I got to know something real quick as a, for, <laughs> from an attorney. You got a favorite attorney movie? Oh, gosh, man. There's too many that I love. <laughs> I mean, is, I, I got to think, is it like Rainmaker? Like, what, what is it? Like, what do you, you know? I have to say the one that I found the most compelling for me uh, was actually the Rainmaker with Matt, with, uh, with Matt Damon yeah. and... Uh, uh, that that whole little guy taking on the big guy was kind of inspiring for me as a young person to say, oh, I, yeah. can I do that? Well, we appreciate you, man, doing that. I, ju- I just think that you're like a living version of that story. And I, I again, just as you know, as an outsider. Oh, looking now at he's going to now he's going to be making movies. He's a YouTube oh, star. I'm he's just, a lawyer. He's, he's got a big man. enough head yet. Yeah, he, you know, <laughs> that, but Michael Baum is Danny DeVito. And that's Michael Baum's not going to appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.